Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. What's going on, Wild Black family? This is Vince. I wanted to talk to you before the episode just to give you a heads up as to what to expect today. Um, first thing, you know we're all about quality, and that's the reason that all of our guests have been in studio with us. But today we're talking about the coronavirus, COVID-19, and it's important to get this information to you from an accurate and credible source. So today you're going to hear from Dr. Madeline Sutton. She was initially supposed to be in the studio with us. Unfortunately, she had a potential exposure to COVID-19 um, earlier this week. And as a precaution, she decided it was best to call in. We completely support that. But as a result, the sound quality on today's episode is not as good as it normally is. I really wanted to make you aware of that before you start the episode and prep you uh, because it's important to still listen to today's episode because the information is so valid and so new and so needed to keep us safe. So with that, Pay special attention to everything that she's talking about. Make sure you share, share, share this episode. Because where the quality isn't as good as it normally is, the information is so essential to our well-being. So listen up, pay a lot of attention, and share this episode. Bringing you now, Dr. Madeline Sutton, epidemiologist, newly retired from the CDC, amazing person, Super credible resource. Listen up, pay attention, wash your hands, and take care of yourself. Peace. Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all-black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. Welcome back, welcome back. On this day, we're here really with a special, like, emergency series we want to bring to you on this coronavirus. So I want to reassure you that, as always, we're not just bringing you, like, dope information and highly credible information, but it's coming from credible sources. So... Um, when you look at our community, I know often we don't necessarily trust the media around us nor all of our leadership. So we dug in and found a couple of folks who can really talk to you about what's going on with this virus, what you need to be concerned about, what the real is. And we want to kind of jump into that today. So the catalyst for today's conversation is I was on the phone talking to a couple of friends earlier this week. And they were saying some things that just threw me for a loop. One of them really asked me, 
uh, can black people get this virus? <laughs> you too? <laughs> right, really asking me that. Now, these are, this is, these are educated folks, right? Really believe. And then you got people like Waka Flocka out there reinforcing crazy stuff like this. People telling me, well, it's no different than the flu. The flu's killed more people than this. Why are we worried? So <laughs> I took it upon myself to go find someone who could tell us why we're worried. Should we be worried? What's really going on? So normally I jump in and introduce our guests and then tell you a little bit about them. But today's guest, Real Talk, is so damn impressive, I couldn't do her any justice. So all I can tell you is she's a doctor and an epidemiologist, say that word slowly and carefully, <laughs> who's retired from the CDC after about 20 or so years and is still working as a doctor daily. In addition, her resume is literally about 18 pages long, with more writing credits to her name than I have lyrics to songs. So, so that's, that's expertise right hey, there. For real. Strong expertise. I, I got down to the books and the chapters. I said, you know what? It's obvious I've underperformed my entire life. I'm going to step away. <laughs> so let me allow today's guest, Miss Madeline Sutton, Dr. Madeline Sutton, introduce herself and tell you all why she's such a credible person to hear more about this virus that we're all managing through. Madeline, the floor is yours. Thank you for that introduction. I'm um, so pleased to be here. Thank you for the invitation. So this is, um, this is my story in just a couple of sentences. So I am a board certified OBGYN, so I primarily do women's health. After residency, I went to CDC. I was there for 22 years. I really was able to dive into learning more about HIV prevention, really trying to support black and brown communities who are doing active work and research in HIV prevention, and really taking the time and the care to be the type of provider for, for us, for black and brown people that I wanted when I was a little girl growing up in Harlem and that I would want for my family members and your family members and all of our aunties, cousins, uncles, etc. And so um, I bring that same passion to the clinical work that I still do. And even though I'm no longer at CDC, I'm still very much passionate about public health. Um, clinical medicine is very much individualistic in terms of when I see patients on a one-to-one -one basis, but public health is still something that impacts the individual work that I do. So I still uh, keep my hand in it, so to speak. And so that's my story in a nutshell. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, the first thing I want to say is thank you. Secondly, listeners, I do want to explain that you are used to our guests being in studio with us. And today is the very first time that we have not had that luxury. Um, Dr. Sutton is in the field, tied up, super busy. And as opposed to waiting and trying to bring you this information, we wanted to go ahead and just make it happen now. So we recognize that it won't sound quite as good as it normally does. But we're going to do our best to make it as good as possible. But the information is going to be really, really good. So. With that, I'm going to hand it over to Art real quick, and he's going to go through our wild black shit. But today <laughs> it's a little different. It's a little different. 
Today, information is what's the most important. So we actually don't have wild black shit in its place. We have coronavirus shit. And what that is, is... Switch up. Right. These are the crazy things that we hear people say about the coronavirus that we would love to have you come in and clarify for us. Cool? Absolutely. All right. (laughs) All right, brother, have at it. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So... While Black replaced with coronavirus shit is <laughs> is the section title of this. Um, and normally what we do is we ask our guests three questions. Um, today we're going to switch it up a little bit. You'll get the third question. Um, okay. But, and that third question is our signature question. But the first two are completely focused on coronavirus. So you ready to go? Ready to go. All right, let's do it. First question. Can black people really get coronavirus? I'm glad you started with that one because I've been getting that one a lot also myself. So let me um so let me answer this way. First of all, you know, I was talking to my mom and she was asking me that question and you know, I gave her the response that my grandmother would give me years ago, and that was play if you want to. Madeline, so you just go I, throw I, your I, mama I under the bus like that. <laughs> <laughs> right under. Both, both, both axes. Well, you know, she's in New York. She's still up in oh. home. She's in New York. She doesn't listen to podcasts, so, I, you know, okay. my secret's okay. safe with y'all. Okay, okay. <laughs> Us and but, the um, thousands of listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, Harlem exactly. or Brooklyn? Harlem. Oh, Harlem, yeah. Harlem listeners go to find her. They're going to be like, man, Dr. Sutton gave you the business. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, it's it's a good question. So in Atlanta, I work at two hospitals that uh, definitely have a disproportionately Black population. So let me let you know from what we're seeing in Atlanta, absolutely, Um, People of color, black and brown, uh, black and Hispanic can be affected, are being affected every day as this epidemic grows. Um, If you've been watching some of the media reports, um, the brother in Louisiana, the first one to die, Mm -hmm. was an African-American male. Um, We're starting to see some numbers come out of the continent, um, some different African countries where people are uh, testing positive. And so we're definitely seeing that we can get it if we're exposed. Now, um, I think what we're seeing is that because it didn't start, it started in countries, uh, continents outside of, of the African continent, we are, um, are seeing numbers come up more slowly in people of color, but, but definitely don't believe that you can, um, can walk around out there in these streets and not be exposed. We can definitely be exposed. We can definitely test positive and we can definitely die from it. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. 
Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. So, listeners, unless you have stuck your big toe in the Wakandan vibranium springs of eternal <laughs> life and happiness, you too can get the coronavirus. Myth busted right here, right? <laughs> Myth busted. Absolutely get the coronavirus. Get coronavirus. Absolutely. All right, second question. What effect of the sun or heat uh, has on the coronavirus? So is it, is it, is is there anything different that happens with the coronavirus from sun or heat? They're thinking about climbing and, you know, when it gets warmer outside, is is that going to help protect us against the virus or, or what? Earlier, a few weeks ago, I think some people were saying that because the thought was, okay, well, if this is one of the um, viruses that's from the family of flu viruses, maybe it'll follow that same pattern. But the answer is we really don't know. This is the first time we're seeing this particular virus, um, COVID-19. And so we're really learning everything from the ground up. We, we just saw it for the first time in December 2019 in Wuhan, China. And so um, now that it's here in the U.S., we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, when we look at what we call the epicurve in China, which just means um, how the epidemic has been happening in China, we see that it peaked um, at about four to six weeks. And then we started to see that they were reporting less cases than the rest of the world outside of China. And so if we look at what happened there and kind of speculate what might happen here, we're thinking that we should be past the peak sometime around June or July. So it's, um, it's really hard to say we're all on a steep learning curve with this, but, um, but that's what we're thinking. So I think that's where people got the notion from that it might be better as we get toward warmer climates. But the other thing to think about, there were some people saying, oh, I'm gonna you know, pack up my stuff from up north and come down south or go to the Caribbean. No, we're actually starting to see some um, positive cases in the Caribbean as well. And so those warmer climate areas are not necessarily keeping us safe from, from acquiring corona or being exposed. Interesting. Yes, I have heard people say, Am is going to go to, you know, a warmer climate and I'm going to be all right. <laughs> as if, well, I'm going to turn my no, heat up to 80. Unfortunately we'll make not. It. <laughs> right, right. Unfortunately not, yeah. Okay. okay. So we're going to switch this last question back to our signature question. Um, okay. So normally we ask every one of our guests um, what they love most about life while black. Um, and just in the context, not necessarily of the virus, just as it relates to you being an a, a amazing black woman, what is it um, that you love the most about Life While Black? That's a hard one. I mean, there is not a day that goes by when I just don't love being black. It doesn't matter, you know, what's going on. I think we as a people approach everything with such, a, um, such an inner joy and such finesse and, and style. I just love everything about being like, I, I love um, the, the introduction of social media and the internet into our worlds because there are some days when things can look kind of bleak and I'll go on social media and someone, one of us has created a meme or something funny that's just like, you know what, this is what I'm talking about. Only us can like create this, develop it, look at it, laugh and, and get through some of the stuff that's going on. So um, I love everything about being black. I wouldn't change it for the world. 
I like that. About. With yes, that indeed. One. All right. Well, so we're going to move into our next section. Typically, we call this the dope quote. But for this episode and the one we'll record right after, we want to talk more about hope. So we've got hope quotes, right? The country is in a position that we've never been before. People are scared, whether they let admit it or not. They're afraid. There's a lot of uncertainty around us in general. So I wanted to lean in with a little hope. So I'll read the quote and then I'll ask you uh, very quickly for your thoughts on the quote. And here it is. May your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears by Nelson Mandela. I'll read it one more time. May your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. Madeline, when you hear that, what does it bring to mind for you? You know, how many minutes in a week? Because I was trying not to go political, but <laughs> that... <laughs> hey, wild we black we, very we love it. We political. will go right there with you, yes. <laughs> but for me, that means, um, I think it speaks a lot to where we are right now in 2020 and the fact that for me i think we're looking at probably the most important election of our lifetimes and so when i when i hear you say um choices that reflect hope i hope that people will look at the different choices that are before us and not only the short-term implications but the long-term implications what it means in terms of supreme court justices what it means in terms of how our children and their children are um, are treated, the rights that could be preserved and or taken away. And so when you say that quote, it makes me immediately think about the political process, the current choices we have, and my sincere hope that we, um, that we make choices that reflect hope in, um, in November and every election before then. I think if there are choices that are made based on fear, um, then the person in the White House right now who is doing a ton of fear-mongering mm, say could, that. Uh, mm-hmm. could be successful. Yeah. But, um, but in my heart, I don't believe he'll be successful. I think we absolutely outnumber them. I think our, our hope and our courage is greater, far greater, than, um, than the people that follow the fear that he puts out there. Ooh, I love and that. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I love that's that. That's a good sign of hope right there. That is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, well, are you ready to jump into these core questions a little bit? Sure. Awesome. Sure. All right, let's, let's kind of start with the beginning. What is an epidemiologist, and why are they important right now? Ah, so an epidemiologist is someone who, um, who loves data. That was one of the things that drew me to the, uh, the position I took, the job that I took at CDC. Many people thought it was strange to train spend all this time, especially my mama, (laughs) it was strange to train all that time to be an obstetrician gynecologist and then make the decision to go to a public health agency that doesn't really do direct um, clinical care. But what epidemiologists do is that we, we look at data, we go and we study diseases and outbreaks. And so when you hear about COVID-19 or coronavirus and you hear about how it may have gotten started, those early cases were probably identified by people who then kind of summoned an epidemiologist. And epidemiologists went and talked to each of the people who had pneumonias. That's how we first started to realize that something was going on. Right. Some people who had been to a certain kind of um, seafood market in Wuhan, China, China right. were developing different pneumonias. 
And then epidemiologists went and spoke to those people individually and said, hey, you know, tell us where you were on this day. What did you eat? And you basically gather all this information from everyone who is affected by something. And you kind of look at the data to see where the overlaps are. And then you can kind of narrow it down and say, okay, all of these people who develop pneumonia have in common this particular seafood market. Right. And then you begin to, you know, using molecular data, samples from the person's, um, you know, if they have a cough or if they are coughing up mucus and sputum, you can sample that and, and basically all tie it to this one type of coronavirus. And that's what epidemiologists do, no matter what the outbreak is. Epidemiologists will also go and follow up on natural disasters, though. So after, for example, when I was still in CDC, after the earthquake in Haiti, epidemiologists go down and and um, talk to people about what's going on, help people get set up, help the public health infrastructure to make sure that people can be okay, even as different disasters, natural or otherwise, are happening. Gotcha. So they sound like investigators. Exactly. Yeah, oh. disease investigators. Oh, I like the disease investigators. Cool. Yeah. All right. So let's um, <laughs> let's move more into the specifics around the coronavirus itself, and okay. the way the way today's questions will be broken out. Um, it's going to start with the basics on what the virus is itself, and then we'll start talking a little bit about how you avoid it, how you increase your chances of not. Becoming a coronavirus person, if you will, okay. and then we'll we'll move into um, a little more about the testing and what to do when I really suspect that I have it. So, what is the coronavirus? So, coronavirus is actually a family of viruses. Um, corona, coronaviruses infect humans, uh, other mammals, and then also some birds. And what they do is they can cause a variety of illnesses, uh, respiratory, gastrointestinal, neurologic. What we know about um, COVID-19 is that it's the seventh coronavirus that's been... At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Identified in humans, so there were six before that. And so um, in that regard, COVID-19 is similar to um, SARS that was an outbreak a few years ago, and mm -hmm. also um, MERS. And so um, that's what a coronavirus is. It's basically a family of viruses that cause disease in humans. And this is the, you said the seventh one that we found in humans? Yes, this is the seventh one. Oh, wow. Where did it come from? So, you know, there's uh, different speculations. There are people who believe it was made in the lab, you know, all the way to um, a variety of theories. But the one that most scientists believe is, um, is that, and this is based on the epidemiology data that was looked at from the persons who first had pneumonia, we believe that there was transmission somehow from some of the seafood 
um, or wet animals that were at that market in Wuhan, China, China, and that somehow there was contamination from the seafood to a human, and then it just began to be transmitted from um, from human to human. So that's what the theory is in terms of, of where it came from, because we know that this particular one was probably transmitted already in animals. And so the idea is that in December 2019, somehow the that particular coronavirus, COVID-19, uh, migrated over to um, to human to human transmission. Wow. Now, is and kind of jumping into that one a little bit. So is it because of the consumption of that particular animal that caused it or... What, what would you consider the root cause of it transferring into humans? It's believed that there was probably, you know, when you're working in um, these markets or if you're a butcher or stuff, if you're around things, you can have like opening in your um, skin and, and all of that. It's believed that there was a contact transmission. Um, that's what most of the reports are saying. But, but again, it's, it's hard to know with 100% certainty. But the reports that I've read are talking about contract transmission that um, somehow it mutated in the animals that were being handled to to a human, and then it just progressed from there. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. So you you mentioned coronavirus and COVID nineteen. So just for clarity, are they or are they not one and the same? Okay, good question. So COVID-19 is a type of coronavirus. COVID-19 actually stands for Coronavirus Disease 2019. Mm. And that's because it was identified just in December 2019. But but it's the seventh one. So it's not exactly the same thing. COVID-19 is a type of coronavirus. But there are other coronaviruses that also cause disease in humans. COVID-19 is just the one that was identified in 2019. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm glad you cleared that mm. up. I know a lot of us probably thought this was the 19th, 19th version. Of right. It. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they ain't stopped this yet. 19. <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> yeah, that's what the 19 is for, 2019. Cool. Mm. All right, so... The virus itself seems to, and again, this is from a non-medical person, right? But I think that's important because most of us are non-medical people. This virus seems like the transmission rate is off the charts versus other respiratory illnesses. Is that the case? And if it is, why? Well, from what we know so far, it it definitely is um, contagious in terms of... um, You know, the people-to-people contact is something that's really important in terms of allowing the virus to continue to be transmitted from person to person. Um, The numbers of influenza around the globe are certainly much higher. The number of influenza deaths around the globe globe is certainly much higher. But um, what we, just from the limited data we have so far from December, what it looks like is that more people who are exposed are dying at a higher rate. So we call it the um, the fatality rate. Mm. And so when you look at influenza, um, that rate is lower from what we know so far in terms of what we're seeing with coronavirus. We're seeing with coronavirus a fatality rate that is um, about 3.4%. Uh, so of those who 
um, are testing positive and who get sick and who go into the hospital, about 3.4% overall are dying. And that certainly is much higher than what we've seen with the flu. And that's why um, there's great concern for this. And that's why people are talking about, you know, self-quarantining and shutting down public spaces and everything. It's, it's because of that. Because uh, when someone does get exposed to it, especially if they have underlying health illnesses, if they have hypertension or diabetes or, um, or even just asthma, they are at more risk of, of getting sick wow. because it is a respiratory illness that attacks the lungs so specifically. Gotcha. Well, since you kind of you, you talked about what it's creating, let's let's dive in that a little bit more. Why is COVID-19 creating such worldwide havoc and uncertainty? because there's so much that we don't know about it. But what we do know about it so far is, is scary. It's, it's scary to look at um, newspapers, for example, from Italy that show 300 deaths in you know a 24-hour period, just uh, obituary after obituary. It's, it's scary when you look at um, the news that came out of Seattle when you have so many persons in one nursing home facility being affected all at once. You know, that's not something that we're used to seeing. Um, even with influenza, it's kind of dispersed and spread out. And so um, this has really caused a lot of people alarm. And, and also the fact that it's not contained to one uh, specific region, one specific area. COVID-19 is, is moving very quickly and moving in many places very quickly. And so um, I think that really has led to a lot of uncertainty, a lot of concern, a lot of fear. Right. And then I think there's also um, a, a lot more that's being discussed about COVID-19 in terms of uh, media coverage. What I think the media is not covering as well, and, and maybe they say it's sometimes it's probably not, it's not highlighted as much as the deaths, is that so far what we do know is, about, is that about, um, at least when you look at the China data, and China was struck first and, and really hit hard because they had uh, over 80,000 confirmed cases about 3,200 people who were deceased. But in those numbers, what's not talked about as much is that over 68,000 people recovered. So their recovery rate is at about 86%. And so I think what's going on is that people are hearing, especially us here in the United States, they're hearing the numbers about the deaths and um, just these huge numbers and, and thinking, you know, this is one of the scariest things we've seen, certainly in our lifetime. Right. And certainly anything that could lead to the types of things that we're seeing in terms of, um, you know, public places being shut down, the NBA being canceled. I mean, I, wow. I'm, I've never seen that in my lifetime. Right. And, um, you know, these yeah. are things that people are seeing and, you know, just uh, amazed and confused and concerned and, and fearful. Yeah. So you, you mentioned recovery rate and I wanna I wanna dive into that just a little bit. So we focused on the death rate. You mentioned the recovery rate. And being this is such a new issue that we're dealing with, what does recovery mean in this case? Is it you just lived or is it you recovered and you went back to the state you were before? Are there recoveries where there's uh lung function that's lost or respiratory issues down the line that are created. Do we know much about what it's doing other than recovery and death? That's a, um, that's a great question. What I've read so far and seen so far in terms of recovery is, um, is full recovery. Now, there may be some plans to do some longer term studies because, you know, we're looking at 
what, about like three and a half months of data. Right. And so what we will often do is follow people for longer periods of time. You know, what's going on with their lung capacity at six months, at 12 months, at two years. And then we will probably really have a better sense of whether or not the recovery is um, is full recovery. But from what I'm seeing in our um, clinical settings and what I'm reading about in the hospitals, recovery right now means that you are... Um, you seem to be out of harm's way. You don't have chest tightness. You don't have the shortness of breath. You are released from the hospital. You, you go home and you resume your normal activities to, gotcha. to the extent that you um, go back to baseline function. That's what we're seeing right now in terms of recovery. Gotcha, and gotcha, I'm looking gotcha. forward to the, you know, being able to follow up people for longer periods of time to know whether or not they do have any decreased lung function. Gotcha. And and to the listeners, real quick, I'll say this a couple of times during the episode. I just want to remind you that this is new, right? This was just discovered in, in December. So there is a lot of information that we just simply don't know yet, which is contributing to some of the media fear and things that we're dealing with. So just keep that in mind as Dr. Sutton responds to some of these questions. Some things are just unknown today. So why is it called a, a novel virus? What does that mean? Or novel? Yeah, whichever one it is. What is it? Novel? Novel? Right. <laughs> yes, yes. So it's called novel because um, it was newly discovered. So in December 19, when they were tracking what was going on with the patients who had pneumonia and when they you know, did the genetic testing and they identified what was going on, they gave it this name and it was novel because it was never before identified. So, oh. um, so that's all it means, that it was newly discovered. Why are we always making up some words? Why don't we just say new? <laughs> We're scientific, so you know, you gotta you gotta use a word for that. You gotta feel important. Yeah, it's a discovery. <laughs> all right, so most people, most people listening, they're all very concerned with how do I avoid this? And if I can't avoid it, how do I greatly reduce my chances of acquiring it? What do you have to tell them? So great questions. I think um, a lot of people now have probably seen, you know, different things on the TV, heard about washing their hands, um, seeing people buying, um, you know, Clorox and, and Lysol and all of that. So the idea is that we need to wipe down surfaces as much as possible because, <clears throat> because COVID-19 is thought to live on surfaces. Early on, a few weeks ago, I was hearing several hours and now people are saying um, several days. And so the idea is that every time you, before you touch a surface, you should wipe it down with Lysol, Clorox, or, you know, one of one of the two. Um, so that's one of the ways you avoid it. You avoid it by uh, not socially engaging with people. So, you know, we, um, a lot of times, especially this has been really hard for me because I'm a, a hugger by nature. Right. And, um, but, but that's one of the things we have to not do <clears throat> to decrease the chance of passing it around to each other. Uh, social distancing means no hugging, um, you know, washing of the hands, staying out of large crowded venues. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you you or any of your listeners were in Selma on March 1st when we did the 55th uh, reenactment of uh, the Selma March across the, the Pettus Bridge. Right. And I swear, I mean, there had there were thousands of people. There was uh, a filled up by, you know, some Divine Nine groups and uh, just a lot, ton of folks were out there. Even John Lewis was there and, and said some words. 
But while we were out there, I swear, I looked around and I said, if I'm going to get Corona, this is probably going to be the day that I, <laughs> because I mean, there were so many of us. It was, it was beautiful. And we were out there, you know, commemorating something important in history and trying to raise awareness about the Voting Rights Act. But um, it was also one of these events, one of these venues where um, it is a setting for something like COVID-19 to kind of take hold and spread amongst a lot of people. Right. And so when you talk about a crowd like that, that's the type of crowd that's in, you know, a stadium when you're at an NBA game. Uh, that's the type of crowd that's at a, a huge restaurant or um, at a big venue that might hold uh, 100 or 250 folks or even more. Right. And so when we talk about social distancing, it's with the, the, the notion that if we can decrease people being in such um, tight spaces with a, a bunch of people all together will decrease opportunities for people to be exposed to COVID-19. And then by decreasing those opportunities, we have a chance to stop community transmission. Right. And thereby, um, and I think um, you've probably heard this on the media as well, by decreasing tra community transmission, we will thereby flatten the curve or decrease the number of people who are exposed and who could only get sick and die. Uh -huh. And so... Um, so those are some of the ways we talk about trying to um, prevent being exposed to COVID-19. Now, if you are exposed, if you are around someone who has either tested definitely positive or, um, or someone who has traveled back from an area that's been of high concern, um, especially in the last few weeks, it had been uh, China and then uh, Italy as well, but really, in, or I think also Iran, but any area where there was noted um, high numbers of cases and people falling ill to COVID-19. Those are also things that put you in a risk category that would suggest that ideally you should um, create more social distancing, self-quarantine in a way, meaning um, keep yourself in a space kind of to yourself until 14 days pass and you think that you haven't acquired or de developed any symptoms. Gotcha, gotcha. A couple of questions I wanna ask behind all that. Uh, you mentioned social distancing. You mentioned self-quarantine, washing your hands. Everyone knows how to wash their hands. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But not everyone knows how to wash their hands properly. Can you shine a little light on that for us? <laughs> so washing your hands, it's, um, it's, it's something that I think you're right, everyone has done differently. So when we say wash your hands, we're talking about at least 20 seconds. And, and that's a, a kind of a long time when you think about it, when you really count to yourself, okay, you know, like we learned in nursery school, one, 1,000, two, 1,000. When you count to 20, that's what we're talking about in terms of washing your hand with soap, you know, back of hand, front of hand, and between the fingers for people who have long nails, um, underneath the nails, and doing that for a full 20 seconds with soap and then rinsing with water. And um, if there's a towel available, grabbing the towel for drying, um, trying not to touch any knobs after you've washed your hands, using the towel to touch knobs, um, and then also turn doorknobs to exit 
spaces, if you're in a restroom or something. But that's what we mean when we say washing hands. We mean 20 seconds. We mean, you know, sing a nursery school rhyme, whatever you have to do, but make it a full 20 seconds and and get soap in all those areas. Wow. So check this out. You you mentioned something that I think a lot of people probably didn't connect to. So 20 seconds, that, that process is with the soap. So it's 20 seconds with the soap. And <laughs> Not then, for when to turn the water on. Correct. And <laughs> right. then you rinse it off. So it ain't. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not, hey, all of it's together is 20 seconds. It's soap. Right. Water. That's a good distinction. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> wow. So what happens if you don't do the water and soap part for 20 seconds? What happens if you're at 15 seconds? What's, what's magic about 20 So our hands, naturally, I mean, if you were to take our hands and look under a microscope, you would probably add like 30 more seconds to washing (laughs) our hands. (laughs) Our hands have tons of bacteria, our skin in general. But our hands, you know, we do so much with our hands that we take for granted. Until now, I took for granted even how much I touch my face. You know, these there are some things that we do we don't even think about. That's one of the other (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> That's one of the other ways to decrease transmission is, is um, not touching our faces as much. But what happens is um, the longer we wash, the more bacteria we remove from the, the surface area, bacteria and viruses. So any bugs that are on our hands, um, the longer we wash, the more we, we get off. Our hands will often get dirty again, which is why we're also suggesting the hand sanitizer. Um, you know, if you don't have warm water and soap readily available to fully wash, just additional ways that we can try to keep our hands clean because our, our hands just at baseline have so many things that we don't even think about, you know, just just there at baseline. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. All right. So you, I want to talk about a, a couple of the other things you mentioned, social distancing. I think we have a, a good idea of what that means when you're out in public. I think the numbers were like staying six to 10 feet away from people. Um, so shine a little more light there and talk about is it necessary to do in your own home with family members? If a family member has um, been diagnosed as positive or if they're in self-quarantine, for example, if a family member has returned from an area that is um, is one of the countries that we know to have active ongoing community transmission, then yes, that person should be self-quarantined in their home. And social distancing from someone in your home and your family means, you know, they're kind of staying in their own room. They are, um, you know, I was talking to uh, a friend who was asking me about, I guess, you know, having one quart of ice cream and sharing it with his boo and if that's okay. And, and that's not okay if the person has tested positive for coronavirus. You can't share ice cream with your boo if they have tested positive for corona, for COVID-19. But ice cream but, is um, cold. It doesn't kill it. No, that's a, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, that's what we mean. I mean, it's, it's certainly not comfortable. It's not ideal. But um, when we talk about it, we're really just talking about 14 days if the person has no symptoms. Right. And if someone has symptoms, 14 days from when symptoms resolve so that we can know that they have, um, you know, fully cleared the, the virus from their system or at least not be as infectious as they would have been otherwise. Right. But yes, you're right. We're talking about six feet between um, people. We're talking about avoiding public transportation. 
non-essential travel, social gatherings. Um, a lot of companies and businesses are implementing teleworking, and, and that's to also add to the, uh, the, the ability to create social distances between folks. It's, um, it's definitely hard when someone is trying to self-quarantine if they're in a, a home with a lot of people. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where we're hoping that people can do the best that they can. I, um, my, my grandparents are from this uh, town in South Carolina, and when all the cousins would be home in the summer, I mean, there would be six of us in one room, in one bed. And when you have those types of scenarios, one of the things I think we haven't really accounted for with our messaging around social distancing and self-quarantine is uh, whether or not it's truly feasible for people in certain situations. Uh, and, and I think that's one of the things we have to try to figure out. But right. again, the good thing is for most people who do get exposed, um, for many people, the symptoms will be mild to, to none at all. Right. And, you know, we, we hope that in the U.S. will approach the 86 percent recovery rate that they had in China. Gotcha. But, you know, self-quarantining when you're in a, a home or family situation on a small apartment is not always feasible. Yeah. So I want to ask a very specific question for our listeners. So if you are living with, dating around someone who is either confirmed or heavily suspects, you should not engage in sexual activity, correct? That is a very good question. Because um, you know how we do. That is... <laughs> baby, hey, baby, no, solutions that, that to that. Is, Turn that heat up to yeah. eighty-nine. Come on, that's that's right. <laughs> right, because no, heat kills yeah, it. Yeah. Put that mask <laughs> on. <laughs> no, I mean, ideally, in that situation, no, there should not be um, direct contact because now, especially, and so you know, some of this depends on what's going on with the person. The, the, the problem is that we just don't know. Who might be that, if you're talking about younger people, who's going to be the outlier who might acquire more severe disease? If you're talking about older people, you know, 60, 70, um, definitely they shouldn't have any intercourse at all just because the, the numbers of people who have died from COVID-19 have been disproportionately aged 60 and above, right. 60, 70s, 80. You know, but they, they get busy as well. And so I know that um, I had a patient who was expressing concern about, you know, her partner has traveled home from, from Italy and what does she do? And um, I think her partner had symptoms. And, you know, the part that we haven't talked about yet is that a lot of people haven't been able to access testing. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if you're just going based on the symptoms that someone might have and if they've returned from um, a country like Italy or someone else that has someplace else that has high numbers, then yes, to protect yourself. If they have a fever and a cough, you know, love them from afar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, send them nice notes. Uh, promise them to do something nice when they pass 14 days or, you know, hopefully they don't have to get hospitalized and go and, um, you know, and be out of commission for a longer period of time. But, um, but yeah, sexual intercourse has to happen in, I guess, more um, unique ways. People have to be inventive about mm -hmm. how they are sexually engaged with their partners at this mm -hmm. particular time. So Ethel, Jethro, don't do it. <laughs> Condom ain't gonna help this. Go to other rooms. Y'all can have phone sex from different floors in your house. Try it out. There you go. Ethel there you go. And Jethro. <laughs> Man. Those are old school names. Right. They were born in 1901. <laughs> so 
in so you know you hear about the people who who have unfortunately departed because of coronavirus, but you hear a lot of people that are, you know, they're recovering successfully. What does catching this coronavirus look like? And then what is the the process of what it would look like to recover? And then what does the process look like when someone is actually on the road to expiring? So the most common symptoms that we see and um, from, from everything we know f- so far in all the, the countries where folks have been affected, um, the most common things we look for are fever, cough, runny nose, fatigue, you just feel like kind of drained and tired, um, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and sometimes some um, abdominal pain. That's so, everything, um, Exactly. And that and that's one of the challenges is that, you know, um, over the last couple of weeks when I have a patient who presents with, you know, maybe they're sneezing or they have a runny nose or they have a, a low grade temp, not not all the way. And especially if people are watching TV, they're immediately thinking that they have COVID-19. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. you know, one of the challenges is that these symptoms overlap with um, symptoms of the flu because we're still in flu season. Um they overlap with um, allergies. Allergies are starting, especially here in Georgia and other mm-hmm. places around the country. And then also with um, just a regular cold. And so, you know, one of the tests we readily have available is a flu test. We can, you know, usually check someone to see if they have the flu. And um, again, because the COVID-19 test is not readily available, at least here in Georgia, sometimes it's one of these as uh, what we might call a diagnosis of exclusion. Okay, mm. if, they're, if they don't have the flu... If they have these things, we can, you know, try to give them supportive care. That's the other thing. We don't have anything that specifically treats COVID-19. If someone is um, sick enough to be admitted to the hospital with uh, chest pain or shortness of breath or a really high fever, they're having difficulty breathing, then um, there are different things that we do in terms of, you know, giving IV fluid hydration, trying to really keep the person hydrated, giving... um, uh, analgesics, medicine that can decrease the fever and decrease the body aches that they have. Right. But we don't have a specific medicine like we have for the flu. We can give someone in the first few days Tamiflu, try to help them feel better, help them have a shorter course. Uh, we don't have that yet with COVID-19. Right. Someone who is admitted to the hospital usually has developed acute respiratory distress, or um, if they have to end up being admitted into the intensive care unit, that's usually what they have. Their, their lungs are um, really fighting to be able to, to breathe, um, to expand fully, and um, they usually require support in terms of respirator, respirator support. That's one of the reasons you hear the conversation at the national level happening about, you know, and really enforcing the social distancing by closing so many things down. Because one of the fears is that if we do get to a point where, you know, 10,000 people have severe respiratory disease Mm. and we need respirators, that we actually as a country don't have enough. Yeah, yeah. So listeners, again, I want to take this second just to remind you. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. That all this is very new. Um, this was just discovered in December of last year. Um, so as she talked through the symptoms and as we talk through the rest, I want you to just keep in mind, this is new. We don't have all the information. And on top of that, 
things can change as we get new information. So if you if you have any of those symptoms, do a little more research. Try and go out and see exactly what the most up-to-date is. Always make sure you're doing research on your side as well. And do not just take the word of what you'll hear on a podcast or news story tomorrow or yesterday. Because with this, things are changing rapidly. Absolutely, absolutely. Even in clinical settings, I mean, we're having meetings sometimes three, four times a day because information is coming out very rapidly and we're trying to make sure that the policies and procedures in place are able to keep up with how quickly we're learning things. Right. If someone does think that they have COVID-19 symptoms and they want to get checked out, absolutely the first thing they should do is call their provider. Um, you know, call the, the doctor, the nurse practitioner, the, the PA who's taking care of you or who's the, the primary person that, that you um, see and just talk with them about what's going on. Um, if you don't have a specific provider, they have um, different uh, hotlines. I know health departments have set up health lines depending on what state someone is in. And just call and bounce your symptoms off of someone. If you are at home and you are having trouble breathing or you're having chest pain, um, absolutely positively go to the ER. Don't wait and try to call someone on the phone. Just go to the emergency room. Mm. I had someone reach out to me um, a couple of days ago. Um, she was really, really concerned because she has spent probably about five days unsuccessfully trying to find somewhere to go get a COVID-19 test. And, um, you know, we were just talking. I was like, okay, well, you know, how's your blood pressure going? Her blood pressure was 243 Jesus. over, I think, 180. Yeah, and I said, okay, strong. well, you have to go to the ER for your blood pressure. Let's forget about COVID-19 right now. You know, that, that blood pressure was in stroke territory. And so as we're dealing with COVID-19, it's also important for people to remember that there can be other things going on with our health that we, we have to pay attention to as well. Right. And definitely, you know, don't hesitate to... Um, to seek care when something really serious is going on. Gotcha. You know, one question I want to ask that I meant to I meant to bring up earlier. The media leadership, most of the information we get says high risk are elderly, 60 plus, um, compromised immune systems, other ailments and issues. But how seriously should a 40-year-old or, or a 20-year-old be taking this, especially given how new this really is? That's a great question. So we know in terms of those who have disproportionately been among um, the deceased, we know that they are older. But we've also had a couple of cases where, I mean, I don't know some of the detailed medical histories of these folks, but, you know, a 40-year-old or someone who was in their uh, early 50s, you know, they've also been amongst those who passed away, unfortunately. And so um, as we're still learning about this, and because we don't know all the details, yes, it is correct that older persons 16 above are more at risk, but um, we need our 20-year-olds, our you know 30-year-olds, our younger persons to also be aware because what can also happen is that, you know, let's say someone 20 years old is exposed to COVID-19. They can walk around without any symptoms at all. And if they happen to live in a situation where they have um, uh, older family members in their home or they go to visit an older aunts or um, grandparent or, or parents, um, they could potentially pass on COVID-19 without ever being aware that they were positive to begin with. And then it becomes a concern because now that 60 or 70 year old person who was trying to stay inside and, you know, maybe decrease some of their, their uh, contact with other people, now maybe you've exposed them unintentionally 
just because you were out and about um, and you didn't realize that you mm. had already been exposed to COVID-19. And so that's one of the, the big things, one of the messages we're really trying to get younger people to understand that it, even though they are not um, amongst the numbers who have deceased, uh, that they can still potentially and unintentionally expose a, a loved one. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why we want them to be, you know, very careful as well. Awesome. So I've just got two questions left. One of these you actually answered earlier, but I want to make it very clear because it's, a, it's something we're hearing a lot in the media. We hear flattening the curve. Break that down for us real quick. So um, flattening the curve, and I, um, I don't know how many people are familiar with uh, just the, the bell curve, you know, just a mm-hmm. curve. Imagine the, the Liberty Bell like in Philly. Uh, and, and how tall that peak is. And let's say that peak is about, I don't know, two, three inches from um, from the ground. When we talk about flattening the curve, we're trying to get that peak from two to three inches down to about half of an inch. Mm-hmm. And so what we believe we're doing when we request people to do social distancing or when, when the, the government enforces these different closings and all of that, when we are looking at the bell curve being three inches off of the ground, that's when people are out and about uh, doing maximum mixing and no social distancing at all. And that's when we believe COVID-19 is more able to spread amongst people and, um, and, and reach people very easily because people are, you know, out touching each other and uh, unintentionally, you know, right. we, we do so much touching that we're not even aware of. But in every surface that you touch, every time your hand goes from a surface to your face, um, all of those are potential exposures. Right. And when we do social distancing, what we do is by keeping people inside, decrease the ability of people to kind of come in contact with one another to touch objects and, and all of that stuff. We're trying to flatten the curve because we're decreasing the opportunities for COVID-19 to be transmitted to someone else. And so that curve that's three inches above the ground, maybe is only a half an inch above the ground because we've decreased the opportunities for COVID-19 to successfully pass on to someone else. Gotcha. So this is just about reducing how many people contract, if that's the right word, COVID-19. And so if we can decrease the number of people who can come in, who would come into contact with it, we can decrease the number of people who get sick. Cool. Well, one last question, and I think it's probably one of the most important questions we could ask today. With so many mixed messages and so many social media experts and politicians who want to pretend to be medical providers for the moment, there's a lot of information that is incorrect that's being shared. So as a concerned person, where should I go or any listener go to get up-to-date, accurate information? I think the cdc.gov website has absolutely um, information that I trust. It, it is a federal government entity, but the epidemiologists and scientists there, I think, really do a strong job of making sure that what is on the website is scientifically accurate and um, provides as much detail as you might want. They have uh, options for laypersons. They have links for um, healthcare providers. And so, you know, they have it broken down for a wide range of um, different peoples to understand. Another good website is um, WHO. They have um, a website that looks more globally at what's going on so that um, uh, people can have an understanding about what is going on outside of the USA as well. 
if there are people who are visual like myself and who like numbers and data, I've um, found another website very helpful. It's, it's uh, ncov2019.live. Can you say that one more time for the people? N is in Nancy, C is in cat, O as in opossum, V is in victory, and then 2019.live. Got it. And if you go there, they have these beautiful um, tables where you can just look and see. It's like a running tally. And you can look and see what's going on globally, what's going on in, in the U.S., what's going on in China, Europe. And um, it shows the breakdown by confirmed cases, um, those who are deceased, those who have recovered, and then how many people are still in serious condition. And yeah. so um, for those who really want to see what's going on in terms of the numbers that are really out there, um, I really find that to be a good resource. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dr. Sutton, that's, that's the end of our questions. Um, at the end of every episode, we love to hand the mic over to our guests and just give you the opportunity to address the people, tell them whatever it is that's on your heart to tell them, how they can follow you if you want them to follow you. Uh, and that's, that's really Not it. if they got that coronavirus. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Oh, well, well, thank you guys. I've enjoyed um, talking with you. I hope that we've um, been able to have a conversation with some information that was helpful to folks. Um, I would say if there's anything I would like to impress upon people, it's this notion of, um, of testing and how there are times when people really have more power than you might believe. And so to the extent that testing isn't as readily available as it should be in all parts of this country, um, you can play a role in trying to improve the availability of testing. You know, call different um, uh, representatives, call your local hospital, call the health department until you are able to get the answer that you're looking for in terms of testing. I get a lot of patients who are asking me about testing, and unfortunately, it's, um, it's, it's not yet as readily available as we would like it to be. But it's one of the things that's going to help us know um, when that curve actually starts to shift. You know, and, and that's what we're ultimately trying to get to. Right. When does it peak? When does it start to decrease? And when it starts to decrease, when can we get back to, um, you know, being able to go out of the house, being able to hug those we love, being able to check up on, on family and friends and make sure everyone is okay. And so um, I definitely think we will get through this. I don't think this is um, something that we should panic about, but I do think that we can take precautions and be safe and help each other be safe, check on our neighbors. Um, you know, if you have the ability to do so, if you have someone who's, you know, in, in the black community, we call it a sick and shut in. If someone is shut in and they can't get to the store, um, see if there's an online grocery company or someone that will uh, deliver a meal to them. Uh, honey baked ham, for, for those who, who love honey baked ham, I know um, someone was telling me that they are able to deliver meals from that resource. And, nice. and I'm sure there are plenty of other online companies and restaurants doing it. So as we are doing our social distancing and staying away from each other, please don't forget to, to check up on each other and make sure people are okay. Well, absolutely. You thank don't know you. how much we appreciate you, Dr. Sutton. Thank you so, so much. We Indeed. appreciate thank you. you. And thank I look you. forward I to meeting you. Y'all. Cool. Yes, yes. I lo I'm looking forward to... Um, coming and visit the studio and, and meeting you guys. So, so thank you again for the opportunity to talk awesome. to y'all. Well, Wild Black. That's it. Wild Black. Okay. Peace. 
When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.